Welcome to Ribbon of Memes. Now, I don't have a particular introduction for this episode, so I'm just going to... Wait! Stop right there! You can't carry on with this podcast. You look just like me. Yes! That's because I am you. I'm you from ten years in the future. And I'm here to tell you that the consequences of recording this podcast have catastrophic effects on the entire space-time continuum. Um, okay. So you're saying, if I record this podcast the fabric of the space-time continuum could be destroyed. Yes, that's right! Right. Okay, well... Wait. Uh, Don't listen to him. Another one. I'm you from 20 years in the future. Right. And I'm here to tell you that if you don't record this podcast, you'll threaten the entire nature of reality and possibly rip apart the entire fabric of space and time itself. So, okay, so... You're saying if I record this podcast the fabric of the space-time continuum will be destroyed. Yes! You can't record it! And I... uh, You... I, We are saying that if I don't record this podcast, the fabric of the space-time continuum will be destroyed. Yes! The recording must continue! In that case, I... Stop right there! Uh, Don't listen to him! I'm you from 30 years in the future! Right. And that last you isn't you at all! It's not me! It's an imposter! He's a spy sent Don't from... listen to him. You've got to record this podcast. You've got to. Just Wait, don't... No, no, we no. don't listen to him. You can't. To him. You can't. To me. No, what? no. Okay, just no. Everyone, just, everyone just quiet. I'm going to get on with the podcast. I'd like you all to stand there quietly, and we'll talk about this later. Oh, my. I'd forgotten how confusing time travel is. Um, welcome to episode 33 of Ribbon of Memes. Great Scott! Don't worry about it, dog. We'll sort it out. We'll fix it in post. Now you lot sit quietly there, and we will get on with our um with our podcast. I guess today we are am cranking open the Deloreans and playing Huey Lewis and the news as we uh, discuss the entire Back to the Future trilogy. Um, now, when as is our want with these, we tend to discuss them on the date of the last released. Uh, good film, which is why we only did Die Hard. <laughs> For Back to the Future, um, I think we both agree the whole thing works as a trilogy, so we're doing yeah. it on our 1990 episode. Yeah, and given that they planned to make this originally as a one-off, and then it made mm. lots of money, and they said, okay, we'll, we'll, we'll continue, um, I think it works pretty well. With some exceptions, which we'll come to. I, well, I, sh- I guess we will, yes. I but- should say up front, um, the way you felt about Stand By Me, uh, yeah. these are films that I have great big nostalgia feels about, especially the first one, which, as far as I remember, is the first film I actually went to see multiple times. Goodness me. So, so this is a... Would you say this is the first film you've had those kind of feelings about? I think so, yeah. I mean, some of these I have seen before, but, um, yeah. The Aliens, which is one of your favourite, you came to a bit later, or you saw Aliens? No, no, you saw Aliens first, didn't you? I saw Aliens first, and even that wasn't, you know, immediately on release. This I went to the cinema for. Now, I was a bit on the young side for the original Back to the Future, because I was nine when Back to the Future came out. 
I don't think I yeah. saw any of them in the cinema. I think so they were all... I would have been 15, 16. I mean, basically, it was aimed straight at me. Yes, exactly. Yes, or at least a, people a of my age, which is as close as cinema I can get, because it's straight at me. Well, it was a teen film with um, nostalgia and time travel in. So it's interesting, because in many ways, at least the first film is, and we've covered this a few times before, is a film, I don't know if it's quite about nostalgia, but it's certainly got a heavy nostalgia theme in it, and you're nostalgic about it. Um, which I suppose yeah. is, is similar for me with Stand By Me. Well, let's let's get into it. This is um, Robert Zemeckis, um, uh, prominently directed by Steven Spielberg, because this was the mid-80s when Spielberg's magic Well, directed is exactly not the word. Um, Zemeckis was directing, but but it yes. was Spielberg uh, who, who put up the money and, well, basically sorted yes. out the imprimatur and so on. Sorry, he was. Uh, I guess Spielberg's name is all over it, but he was the producer. He was not. Yeah, I mean, they, they certainly put his name at the front of each film, yes. uh, in part because yes, he was involved in producing it, but also in part because yeah, that was still a name to conjure with, especially in '85. He was a he was a bankable. You don't get many bankable directors. Well, I suppose Hitchcock as well. We'll we'll, we'll come back to it. But well, Spielberg was the pe- people knew the what you know, a Spielberg film was going to be the sort of thing they liked, even if they didn't know exactly what it was going to be like. Well, it's interesting. I was thinking this because, in a way, this film, what you kind of think of with Spielberg, this film is almost more Spielberg than a lot of Spielberg's films, actually. It, it feels that. And I think that's true of Robert Zemeckis in general, actually. He does, he's kind of Spielberg plus, in a way. He's, he's, he's turned up to 11. He's a bit heavier on the, uh, nostalgia, a, a bit heavier on the 80. And this is one of the most, um, I guess the reason it's aged well, is because it's by definition it's sort of uh, it, the 80s are exaggerated 80s that you're supposed to recognise, but the the characters are are 80s characters and supposed to be, and so they're not contemporaneous in a way because they're yeah well yeah like H. P. Lovecraft uh, who who was writing up to the minute science fiction when he was writing it, um, it's I I think it it helps an awful lot that they use the DeLorean. And let us point out that DeLorean had gone bust by the time this film was started. I mean, that's the the, the other thing is the DeLorean you did not see anywhere else at all, and so it becomes as recognisable as the TARDIS uh, or the Millennium Falcon because um, you just don't see them in any other context, and weren't even seeing them in 1985 in any other context by then. Yeah, I, I had a quick poke on one of the car sales sites. There is one DeLorean for sale in the UK right now, according to them. And it had been sitting in storage for 30 years, and somebody recently bought it, shipped it to the UK, and time travel carified it. <laughs> uh, he's he's very, very determined to point out that he d- he's done the original version, not the Mr. Fusion version, because that's much less demanding and doesn't need anything like as much work on the, on the model building. Yeah, well, fair enough. Or <laughs> even the Back to the Future 3 that has a sort of um, 50s microchip um, strapped to the bonnet. Mm-hmm. Um, I uh, I was caught in traffic um, coming up to your house actually, Roger, and sat next to a DeLorean, which was time travelified, which I later learned was part uh, was a huge prop in the um, current Back to the Fuser Future musical, which is on at the West End at the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, which may answer the question: Has this film been influential? <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> this uh, so back to the film. Well, I I honestly can't remember when I encountered. It. Do you know? I suspect it was one of those back when Christmas telly were good and they put a good film on, <laughs> and it was usually a Spielberg film or something like that. I think Back to the Future slowly leaked out onto those, and I probably watched all of them 
around Christmas time, uh, which makes it extremely nostalgic um, for me. I don't recall ever getting them on VHS. Maybe by the time Back to the Future 3 came out, I did. Um, but, I mean, the short... I, I, it's, I'm not sure about a plot, a plot summary. Um, well, it's worth doing a plot summary to remind us of some plot points. Uh, Marty's friend... Uh, Doc Emmett Brown invents a time machine, straps it into a DeLorean because he figures if you're going to travel in time, you might as well do it in style. Um, uh, unfortunately, he's uh, machine gunned to death by the Libyans. That does uh, date it a bit <laughs> to the 80s, um, uh, from whom he stole the plutonium. Marty um, accidentally travels back in time to 1955 and has to do the standard thing of avoiding the grandfather paradox, uh, only in this case it's his mum who's fallen in love uh, or at least got the hots for him. Um, he has to reunite his parents and then get back to the future using the younger version of Doc Brown. Yeah. And, hmm. I, th- I think it's worth going sideways a bit into into the genesis of this because mm-hmm. um this is a film that uh, the 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 right the two bobs as they were apparently known so this is bob dale and bob zemeckis yeah uh they they'd apparently wanted to do for a while but they hadn't really got much to it other than we want to show the past being changed and the future being modified by it yes um one of the original uh, concepts was that the return to 1985, it would be much more futuristic, for example. Uh, one, one thing yes. I, I really wish they had retained simply because it would have been a gorgeous thing to mount as a special effect, uh, was driving the time machine into an A-bomb test to get the, uh, necessary power. Oh, well, that's a, that's a whole different light on it. Um, they, uh, and I think, believe originally the time machine was not, a car. I think at one point it was strapped to the back of a truck, but it went through a lot of different um, iterations yeah. before we got to the uh, the Back to the Future. We did, and I believe they wanted to do uh, thirty years ago because it was a time that people were being nostalgic about. And I also read that they were at a slightly weird age because they were, I think, in their thirties mm-hmm. doing this. So they weren't especially nostalgic for the fifties because they were more sixties, seventies kids. Um, and they weren't really with it in the 80s. So neither of the, they didn't really connect with either of those eras, which is interesting because they're pretty heavily, the 50s particularly in, in the first film. And we'll stick with the first film for the minute. It features, yeah. uh, very heavily. And it's the, it's the interesting generational thing. And of course now we're looking back at it from another 30 years or more with change. Um, and looking back at the 80s with nostalgia. Yeah. Um, uh, I think it's worth considering, uh, at least according to late, later, uh, interviews and so on. I don't see any reason to disbelieve them. Uh, Gail saw his father's high school yearbook. Oh, yes. And discovered his father had been, you know, class president and basically very, very much the conforming with the, um, structure of the time and started thinking, well, you know, if, if I'd actually known the guy then, would I have liked him? Um, and then he, he went, he went to Zemeckis not. and Zemeckis said, yeah, what if your mom was a school slut? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's, um, that's it. So, you know, on the face of it, this is a plot that could have been incredibly uncomfortable and incredibly weirdly done. You know, his dad's kind of a, uh, uh, he's kind of portrayed as a bit of a, certainly a nerd, but a peeping Tom. Um, and his mum has got the hots for him and, 
that can take you into pretty icky territory pretty quickly. Um, yeah, this, this I, incidentally is why Disney turned it down. Uh, they, they, shop, they, they had the concept and, and a bit of yeah. uh, script and shopped it around a bit. And basically, most of the studios said, no, it's not raunchy enough because, you know, they wanted the next Porky's or the next Fast Times at Richmond High. Yes. And they also said, you know, the final countdown and Time Bandits both did quite badly at the box office. Therefore, time travel films don't make money. Time travel thing doesn't work until it does, and then everyone just time travels for a while. Disney Uh, said, "No, no, this is an incest picture. We can't do this." Yeah, well, (laughs) uh, and somehow it skirts both those. Like, it's neither too raunchy. It doesn't feel like incest. It it gets the. Well, I I think the key thing in in that is is the scene where Lorraine is kissing Marty. Yeah, and. Yeah, he's he's been trying to avoid it anyway, but then then yeah. she pulls back and says, "You yeah, know, this just feels like kissing my brother." Yeah. So is, you know, the, yeah. without That's... you know him having to be unpleasant to her or whatever, it just it it fits together. You know, that the, there's that reassurance. I think is a big part of this. Uh, well, this is an interesting. I'd like to talk about the tone a bit because I suppose hmm. you know the setup for that is. Well, Dad, you're going to interrupt me mid-rape <laughs> with my with your mum. You know, I mean, that's the implication that he's fooling around with her against her consent. Now, that is, it's really awkward territory, you know, if you stop and consider it for a while. But in no way does it feel like, it feels weird to say it, because it doesn't feel like that. Because this is, and I... Well, we I also had, know Marty would never go through with it. We know Marty. I mean, uh, well, I want to talk about the charisma of... Well, the two main stars, really, because that's a big part of yeah. this film. But I, the tone of the film is, uh, I, I initially, or not initially, I, I came to a point in my life where I found it quite, uh, not quite off-putting, but a bit off-putting, because this is the the tone is very comic book, or it's not quite comic book, but it's very pulp fiction. And mm. I actually, the definition I think I finally came to is one of your definitions, Roger, that you've said a few times in other places, which is one of the many definitions of melodrama is that it comes all the drama is external. There is no really internal conflict in uh, any way. I, I didn't originate that. I heard it somewhere. No, no, you didn't. But you've you've mentioned it a few times. But it is one of the many definitions of many melodrama. And I think here. It really defines Back to the Future too. No one really has an inner life, particularly. Yeah, and um, M- M- Marty doesn't really have any problems. We'll come back to that in in book two or film two, well, where like he has talk... the one big psychological disadvantage. But in, exactly, in number one, he doesn't. The, I think that's it's all. I'd like to. I, I have Watchmen here randomly because there's a quote <laughs> from um, one of the books here, um, and it's where it's. Um, it's a character talking about the pulp fiction world and what it's like. Um, and he says, um, nobody in Doc Savage's world ever killed themselves except thwarted kamikaze assassins or enemy spies with cyanide capsules. Which world would you rather live in if you had the choice? And I thought that, that really kind of sums up the back to the future world. You know, there, there are, there are suicide, there are, there are psychological problems, but they're all, on the surface, they're all, nobody calls me chicken. You know, it's all, and again, that isn't in this. Uh, yeah, all. there's, a, there's a black band playing at a white high school. That would have been uh, actually illegal. Uh, yes, exactly, in, in 1955, <laughs> but there's no, I mean, uh, it does, it sort of almost pays lip service to racism because, you know, it talks about, you know, the black mayor 
um, and he's he's he kind of joshes with the shopkeeper that uh, one day I'll be mayor of Hill Valley. But it all feels. I used to think it was kind of twee, and I think it's not really twee. It's just. Extra, and I think more perhaps than any of the other films we've watched, it's all on the surface. It's all superficial. It's all to serve the plot, and it's also and, the family-friendly version of all these things. And it's the family-friendly, so it's all kind of squeaky clean. It's, um, uh, uh, the, I mean, that's, in, that's, in the TV release, they they changed. You're going to see some serious shit. To you're going to see some serious stuff. Well, that it's, <laughs> to the point where when characters. Um, and to be honest, I watched the TV version, so for me, seeing Doc Brown swear feels a bit weird. <laughs> um, and it does feel a bit, all those things feel a bit weird. Um, and so I found the whole thing slightly, there was a period of my life where I found it slightly um, off-putting because I was more into The Dark Knight Returns and, you know, even The Empire Strikes Back and all. Mm-hmm. They're all darker. It's not that there isn't violence or murder, but they're all, you know... Um, just like the quote from Alan Moore from Watchmen. Um, but do you know what? At this stage in my life, I I just like it. <laughs> I just like the, the pulpy nature of it, the comic book nature of it. I, it doesn't bother me anymore, and I thought it would. But I, 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 I think whenever I... Yeah, I, I try to enjoy everything that I yeah. read or watch or whatever, otherwise what would be the point? And yeah. some, some of that is putting myself into a relevant mindset so that I can appreciate... You know, how it was intended to be taken rather than yes. hang on a minute we don't actually know what to do with our female characters here <laughs> you know Lorraine is sex pot slash obstruction slash prize she doesn't have much personality beyond that Jennifer is literally knocked unconscious to get her out of the way so the boys can have fun in the second that's a different film sorry, oh, well she's barely there in the first film well, she's a different actress, and frankly, it's hard to notice unless you're watching them back to back. Yeah, she's always. Though, um, what what I do like is, um, particularly up front. I mean, there's a, there's a lot more info dumping than, or just general information than you would get yeah. in most films. Um, and I like the way a lot of it happens double duty. So, you know, that that introductory sequence going over the clocks. Yes. Uh, which also gives you Brown Mansion destroyed, and yes. the unattended coffee maker. And yes. the dog food thing, and the plutonium theft. Uh, all of that yes. is just dumped in there while, while you're wondering what the film is going to be about, and that's great. Uh, yeah, and the, the, the sl- woman collecting for the clock tower fund does the double duty of interrupting the snog so that they can get on with the plot and giving the information about the lightning strike, that kind of thing. It's all, it's very efficient storytelling to the point where there is almost nothing. And that's the beauty of a time travel film. There's almost nothing in there that doesn't directly get referenced later on or mm. is not. The whole thing is Chekhov's gun. <laughs> um, it, it's, it's very neat it's and well I like done. that a great deal. I do. Yeah. It's not that the film is without, or the trilogy more to the point is without plot holes, which, but oh, there are a number of plot holes I've identified. I don't want to go over them desperately though, because I don't know if that's quite the point of Back to the Future. Really, um, that broadly the story works, though there are some areas that that, that don't. Um, but Back to the Future One, it's really it's interesting. Back to the Future One isn't so much about time travel, really. It's in a it's a fish out of water film more mm. than anything. You know, a uh, a guy who's who's from the eighties back in the fifties and all that. And the time travel is just a lot like Doctor Who uses it. It's a method of getting there. It's not really played with. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a thing I very much noticed when I was doing my rewatch of classic Doctor Who that the majority of the time time travel is there to say this this is how we get to our adventure in yes. Roman land or Crusades land or whatever. 
Yeah. And it's only relatively rare that they actually try to use the implications of we are travelling in time. Yes, and Back to the Future is very much this is our trip to the 50s land. Now, we'll come on to them playing with time, which I think is brilliant. Um, But in here, they don't really do a lot of it other than, I guess, he tries to get back a bit early to stop Doc's uh, getting shot to death, which he doesn't do. Um, Yeah, but also the... um... By mysterious hand wavy, uh, don't ask too many questions. Uh, there, there is this gradual uh, dilution of the probability of Marty existing. Yeah, well, that's one of my plot holes. The enchantment under the sea dance where he's fading away. He has no influence on what that's just the people of that time period mm-hmm. acting as they were. Anyway, I don't want to get too into, involved in plot, but it's it's very um oh this is an interesting plot device. His hand is getting thinner and it doesn't doesn't really make a lot of sense as you say. But it works. It's very well that's I suppose that's the other thing about the tone. This is an extremely I was watching this with my girlfriend who pointed out this is a really visual film. Mm. You know, there there is it's all visual short, and maybe that's why I thought it was comic booky. Everything about it is is you've got to see it. You've got to, no one really uh, has any inner monologue or any thinking. And and the, the Marty's hand fading away in front of his eyes is kind of a, a classic example of that. Um, so the plot is it's exciting enough to draw you through it. It's got twists and turns. Um, it's it doesn't make a whole heap of sense in some ways, but it 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 holds together. Um, I wanted to talk about, um, uh, well, Michael J. Fox and... Um, well, should, should we first um, talk about Eric Stoltz? Oh, poor Eric Stoltz. Well, yes, let's so Eric this, this is a... I don't know if it's without precedent. I'm sure people who know film better than I do will, will say, no, no, of course not. But it's the first occasion I've heard of it. Um, they basically spent half the shooting schedule with a different leading man. Yes. And then decided, yeah, this just isn't working out. Um Sorry, you're sacked. We, 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 we'd done a deal with the uh, TV production company that Michael J. Fox is working for. So, so yes, he, he gets to make uh, fa- family ties during the day and then, then they, um, drove, <laughs> drove him over to the film set at night. Flipping it. Because a lot of it was at night, wasn't it? Um, and the, so Eric Stoltz had been in, um, Mask, which I've randomly seen, which is a, a story of a, a disabled boy with a, some kind of bone disease, I believe, but he's a very dramatic actor. Hmm. Uh, and a real method actor to the point where he would not respond to anything except Marty on set. He or presumably Calvin. Uh, I don't know. Apparently it was Marty, but yeah, perhaps he hadn't read that far. Um, he was confused as to why he'd been cast because he wasn't a comic actor and didn't pretend he was. And he hmm. was he was doing a, a very dramatic turn, which is, I mean, you can absolutely see the tone they were going for is this, you know, Pulp Fiction comic comedic it just wouldn't work with a brooding hero yeah um but there are there are some tiny fragments of the surviving footage in the back in time documentary but they are they are just tiny fragments you can't really get a good sense of him from that i mean it was not a it was not not a happy time for anyone eric stoltz was devastated i believe and it was one of the hardest things robert zemeckis had ever done when he fired him but they knew for a little i was reading there was an awkward moment they, they knew for a little while before eric stoltz did so they'd be like framing shots and saying oh no just have christopher lloyd in this one don't worry too much about um but, it was, but it was, a, a lot of the time when you have a two-hander and you got you know you got the camera on marty and then the camera on somebody else most of those second shots were were, were filmed to somebody else other than Michael J. Fox, Ex- yes, which, which yeah. I, I think he may have found quite quite challenging for act, from an acting point of view. But. It's inter- It's definitely interesting. Um, and 
frankly, it sounds like the right... I mean, it added, doing that, getting rid of Eric Stoltz, getting Michael J. Fox, added like four million to the budget something mm-hmm. like that because they had to pay Eric Stoltz's full salary they had to reshoot all this it was uh, it was crazy expensive so I'm not sure quite how they got away with it other than they must have all looked at the footage and thought you know what this, is, <laughs> this really isn't working well so it must yeah com- coming back to the production side of it um because we, we've said uh, you know, Zemeckis knew, knew Spielberg. He was largely known as a mate of Spielberg's who, who had yeah. done various films that hadn't been great successes. And when the studios turned it down, you know, Spielberg said, yeah, I want to do this. But Zemeckis didn't want to take it to him because he, he would be thought of, you know, completely as this guy who's just Spielberg's mate. Spielberg's term. And I think particularly if it, that... particularly if it turned out to be a failure. But then he made Romancing the Stone. Uh, yes, which we've touched on briefly as, uh, uh, an influence, a film influenced heavily, clearly by Raiders of the Lost Ark and mm. Indiana Jones. Um, but it's it's a very good film in its own right. And yeah, so from that he got this film made. Well, from from there he felt he had some independent credibility. He, he did in fact end up going back to Spielberg anyway. Yes. Rather than all these guys who suddenly I've been your best friend all this time, which is fair <laughs> yes. enough. But he, he held a few grudges and presumably quite rightly given them, given what was happening. Um, so yeah, we get Michael J. Fox um, instead of Eric Stoltz. Uh, in uh, he yeah, he was, a, he was a TV star at the time. Had he done any films before Back to the Future? I'm um, sure. I mean, he, he became a bit of a fixture, obviously on the back of this. But I, I don't know if he'd done. Maybe he'd done Teen Wolf. Uh, Midnight Madness, class of nineteen eighty four. No, so nothing. So this fa- fairly minor stuff. Um, uh, yeah, I did Teen Wolf after this, which I recall as being extremely bad. Uh, <laughs> it's got Michael J. Fox in it, and and I think that's my. He is. I, I saw him. I saw him in two or three other things that weren't Back to the Future, and each time I was just completely unimpressed. So really, I quite I, I like Secret of My Success, and the, he's done a Vietnam film as well with them. Mm. I forget the name of it now. Uh, Casualties, Casualties of War. Casualties of War. Yeah, that's it. Um, but here, um, he. Is perfect as as our hmm. identific- identification character, but also a cool a cool character, a likable character, um, and uh, a, a good you know you know he's good hearted even though there actually isn't a load of good hearted stuff on 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 screen. Um, he's just trying to survive for most of it, but you, you hmm. know he just feels like a wholesome all-american kid and it is these films are very much all-american white people films <laughs> i think i mean there's, there's not a lot of minority or even female action in it mm-hmm. um and so all that it is mid 80s um uh, so it has that against it but it has michael j fox for it and he is uh phenomenal in it i yeah. think he, he really does make the film is, it, is that your feeling too uh yes until I rewatched them recently for this, I would have agreed with you that absolutely. Now I really want to point up Christopher Lloyd because I realise, well, in retrospect, that he does rubber face. You know that that whole mobile face <laughs> thing so yeah. very well that it spoiled me for basically anybody else doing it. <laughs> well, I, th- I did touch on it earlier when I said I want to talk about the two stars because, yeah. and that this Doc becomes more prominent later on to the point where the third film, which is basically Doc rather than Marty, to be honest. Um, but here he's, he's more of a, well, not quite a sidekick, but he's the mentor slash sidekick slash, uh, but even here, 
he's phenomenal. His energy, and it, it mm. could all, it could be irritating a lot of other people. Like some of his exposition shots, he just runs to the back of the set for no reason, looks around a bit, runs to the front <laughs> of the set, does a bit more exposition. He's so urgent, he, but he sells it. He's like, okay, Doc would do that because he's just he's, he's got a hundred things on his mind and he's thinking he's trying to think three times. It's just. I don't know. His manic energy, which could be extremely irritating, just isn't. He's just amazing. Yeah, it? but but also that rapid cycling from this this is great, we're going to do this and this and this, to no, no, everything's completely useless, we might as well just not bother, to yes. up again. It works. Re- it, it works. It, mm-hmm. it, he's, he remains sympathetic while he's doing this. That, that worked really well for me. Yes. Uh, so they, I mean, also they have... Uh, phenomenal on-screen chemistry, the mm. two of them. Um, they just, that you understand. I mean, there's probably time travel reasons why they are friends, but it's not, it doesn't feel like a lot of things in Back to the Future when you step back and think, it's a bit weird that this 17 year old's going around doing all these jobs for this, uh, this crazy old scientist man. But it just, yeah, it how works. did they meet in the first place? We don't know. It's never mentioned. We don't know. I, I suppose you could argue that 50s Doc knows Marty from the 50s and it develops from there but it, it doesn't matter it, it's a wholesome relationship it's not quite father and son they're friends as well I just uh, as a team they're just wonderful characters to be carried along the plot with mm. um, it's it's very um, I, they're great aren't they? I mean the other actors uh, we are in the first one we could talk about Crispin Glover it does this really weird eccentric performance uh, because it's yeah. Crispin Glover the, of, that, there's uh, that turned in lip thing that that he really made a trademark but uh, he's, he's quite young here um, uh, I guess I don't know how old he is just over 20 I think he's really good in it too I yeah. mean he really sells this kind of gawky weird guy that Matt is exasperated uh, that Marty is exasperated with but he feels real. Um, I mean, they're all exaggerated, slightly strange characters. And similarly, um, Lee Thompson um, as Marty's mom, she doesn't get a lot to do, but she's she's really she's very good in it. It's I mean, not much of a part, but she makes the most of it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. She's um, yeah, exactly. I mean, the the acting is all very. And um, Todd, I haven't written into it. Is it Todd Marshall who does uh, is Biff? Um, uh, again, I, I suppose of the main cast, he feels slightly I don't know, slightly less maybe he's got a harder job really to, uh, is it Todd Marshall? Thomas Wilson. Thomas Wilson, there we go he's nowhere near. Thomas Wilson um, he's um, he's got a slightly harder job to do, he grows on you through the film and he becomes very interesting through the later films um, but he was just kind of a standard bully and he never really gets a lot more of a character than that, <laughs> um, mm. but he does well with it, I think he could have been more menacing but I don't know if the film really needed it. Um, I, I must admit, um, particularly these days where I'm a lot more sensitive to the whole comedy of embarrassment thing, I do, I do find yeah. that whole extended scene when Marty first goes home of gosh, what, what wimps his parents are, what, what, what a horrible family this is, pretty hard going. Well, I will, that's, uh, so having sort of discussed the cast and how good they are, the the values, kind of, uh, such as they are, expounded in Back to the Future, are <laughs> a little problematic for me, and they all feel, uh, I'll be showing my political leanings here, but they all feel a bit right-wing, 
and a bit uh, Reagan era kind of stand on your own two feet. And if you don't, if you're a wimp, then this will happen to you. And if you just stand up to the bully in this way, then the whole world will open up to you. And, and you know, literally. Yeah, un- unlike what happens happened every time in the real world, I've seen somebody stand up to a bully, which is they get pounded flat and then blamed for the starting the fight. Yes, exactly. <laughs> to me, that just doesn't. Um, so I. I can forgive Back to the Future because this is not our world. This is a world where <laughs> this is how, what happens when you stand up to a bully. And this is, you know, if you make a man of yourself and, and pull yourself... And it is all about being a man, I suppose. Well, there's an undercurrent of that almost... It's not really toxic masculinity, but the, the kind of alpha male, be who you are. And, and it, it, it's the whole film is sort of shot through with it. Which I accept, but I find myself nowadays feeling a little uncomfortable about... It's not really trying to sell you a message, but it... uh, Well, on on the one hand, um, I think one one of the points here is that Marty is trying to set all this stuff up, but essentially he fails at it and George has to do it for himself. Yes. And that works. I think it's just a shame that it's expressed in the end as basic physicality. Yeah, I mean, uh, if George could, if it could have been set up so that George could outthink Biff. Yes, I agree with you. George is clearly smaller than Biff. Is probably not going to win in a straight fight. Um, He's probably never thrown a punch before. Exactly, but because he clenches his fist at that climactic moment and swings it round at just that time, yeah, I, I think. I don't want to over... It feels like kicking a puppy saying anything wrong about Back to the Future. But I I absolutely agree with you. I would have found it more, uh, yeah, satisfying if they'd thought of a way that he can use his own strengths, which isn't, frankly, being a physical character. Um, Yeah, that would have been nice. (laughs) Um, In in my memory, um, comparing it with the recent rewatch, there there was more of Doc Brown of the time travel stuff and less of... George being hopeless. Yes, there is a lot of George <laughs> being hopeless in it. Um, and I, I will admit, of the, uh, with this rewatch, I know Back to the Future well enough that I slightly zoned out. Um, but I, I frankly found this first film the least enjoyable to watch of all the three. Um, that's, I mean, it, I mean, it, that's... it still has serious nostalgia value for me. I mean, that crashing into the barn scene, I was not expecting to be hit by that but it did oh really yeah okay that's just that particular shot just yeah it's it's i mean the visuals you know the burn uh, there's so many kind of iconic images the burning tire tracks the um mm-hmm. uh that crashing into the barn the delorean itself the flux capacitor the fading hand uh the photographs is the shorthand for what's happening in history it's it's really i mean i, I saying it i found it the least enjoyable is not it's damning it with um, <laughs> uh, uh, praising it with faint dams in a way and that it, it's really uh, there's not much in it I just found it the least interesting because it really is um, uh, a fish out of water film and I'm more of a nerd and prefer time yeah. travel um, uh, I, I would just like to say uh, the line you space bastard you killed my pine <laughs> this is made the year after Star Trek 3 aka Klingon bastard you killed my son Oh my goodness. Christopher Lloyd was the Klingon commander. Oh my goodness. (laughs) Oh my goodness. That is something, that is an Easter egg I have never unpacked before. Thank you, Roger. (laughs) When Um, when I saw this, I hadn't seen any of the Star Trek films, so yeah. (laughs) Um, 
Well, that, I guess that's back to the future. Well, um, al- almost. A couple of yes. things I, w- I would like to do, and, and one of them is a, is a bridge. First of all, Alan Silvestri. Oh, yes. Who is a good, competent, working composer. Yes. And, yeah, I don't think anybody sets out to say, I must have my film scored by Alan, nobody else will do. No, no <laughs> offence to him, but, you know, he's just not yeah, in that. Yeah. But the the score works for me in a much yeah. best, much more, in fact, than the songs do. Indeed, than the songs did. I, I wasn't a, yeah, I, I yeah, they're okay, well, I get it. but on, on they, the they songs, never really spoke to me. I think they were a bit frustrated. Uh, Huey Lewis, uh, uh, who, by all accounts, is a lovely man, but um, he, uh, he, they, he wanted a film soundtrack. He'd never done a film soundtrack before, and I gather he just basically submitted the next wrong, he, the next song he wrote, which mm. was "The Power of Love," which that had no reference to time travel or anything to do with this film whatsoever in it. It was just, it's a good song, but it is not in any way related to Back to the Future. I think on the strength of it, and as a sort of apology, he then wrote. Um, uh, was it back in time? I forgot the the, the one that does have some reference mm. to time travel in it. Um, but I agree the the power of love. I mean, I lived through the eighty, and I know the power of love. I don't, in my head, particularly associate it with Back to the Future. I mm. just like it as a song. Um, whereas that, the, you only, at, I think it's an iconic soundtrack if you can just hum three notes and know exactly what's like. Uh, yeah, to make to make a technical distinction, I, I believe, uh, not certain of this. The term is score for the orchestral stuff and soundtrack yes. for the songs. And the score, right. yeah, they didn't, they didn't release the score album at the time. Um, but, but it's available now and I have it. It's, it's good. I don't think it's quite, I suppose a bit like you're saying, I don't think it's quite as iconic as some of the, you know, the super, the John Williams is, um, yeah, not, again, the, nostalgia value for me. Yes, fair enough. Um, uh, Jerry Goldsmith is the other one I'm thinking of and, um, someone else who I forgot. Anyway, uh, yeah. The, the other thing other? that really struck me is, in in that ending, we don't just exalt George and Lorraine and the family. We also yes. have to degrade Biff. Yes, yeah. To me, that's a bit of a false note. I mean, you don't need that. You, what, why do you even care about Biff anymore? Yes, it touches a bit on the... It feels like they're getting pleasure for seeing Biff in this servile role now and that feels a bit um yeah uh, and, I, and I the link from you. there is that this this is some of why crispin glover didn't come back i mean there was argument over money as well he was being offered yes. a lot less than anybody else uh also he says which is again quite possibly true I'm, I'm not disbelieving people i'm just saying i don't have reliable sources uh, but he certainly said at the time that he just really didn't like that element of the ending the kind of the message of the the ending, or the, yeah, that oh, he was quite happy. He was quite happy for George to be happy. He didn't see why anybody else had to be put down to make him happy. Well, that's interesting. I, um, well, we'll talk about Back to the Future. I, I mean, I agree with Crispin Glover there. Um, yeah, I, I think I, I, it, it it ties in with this slightly awkward tone. And again, I uh, it's hard to criticise Back to the Future because it uh, you feel good watching it, is it? But afterwards, you're like, uh, yes, I can see well, why you might be. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've never been a fanboy of this kind of thing. I I like the film a great deal. This does not mean I think it's perfect. Yes, yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's um, that's a fair point. So on to Back to the Future two and on three. To Back to the Future and three, which were filmed back to back in eighty eight, eighty nine. Some pretty much right? the whole of eighty nine, as I understand it. Okay. 
Um, um, but which was particularly hard work when um, you, you get Zemeckis directing three during the day and then flying back to the studio and watching the uh, day's work on the edits of two and then, sl- then sleeping back there and then flying back to the set the next day. Though, though the rest of the cast and crew reckoned it was actually a lot more relaxing because it was out in the middle of nowhere. So, you know, everybody's sleeping on site. There aren't a lot of distractions. I will say that is a, that's a heroic work of directing and editing, not quite at the same level as Steven Spielberg directing Schindler's List during the day and editing Jurassic Park at night, which must have been a <laughs> bit of a tonal shift. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, and so considering the ending of Back to the Future was just supposed to be a, here's a fun ending, uh, mm-hmm. by I mean the ending, the very ending of where we're going, we don't need roads, to use that as absolute, without changing anything, short of the actress that's playing Jennifer, <laughs> yeah. um, without changing a single thing, they used that as a starting point for Back to the Future 2, which I deeply respect. Yeah, um, uh, they, they but, did say that had they expected to make a sequel, they wouldn't have put Jennifer in the car because they couldn't think of anything to do with her. Exactly, it's pretty clear from Back to the Future 2, given that they um, almost immediately knock her unconscious and give her nothing else to do. Don't worry, she's not essential to my plan. Uh, Yes, don't worry, Marty, she'll wake up on that uh, couch as if nothing happened, and we're going to leave her here till literally the end of Back to the Future. Also, the entire universe is going to get destroyed around her, but yeah. Never yeah, mind that. Exactly. Yeah, don't worry about that. Um, Einstein gets more screen time. Um, <laughs> but there we are. I, it, Back to the Future 2 is where it, um, it really does kick into high gear. I'd love Back to the Future, but Back to the Future 2, there aren't many. But this films. is the one that is a serious time travel film as far as I'm concerned. Well, exa- this, there's not many films that can get away with actually physically revisiting the first film in the second film in a way that this it's just again i'm uh, sure it's been done but i can't think of an example and i it was very influential on actually my my role-playing style that that idea of the interlocking things yes it's not i mean there's in a way it feels a bit uh, it is not as intricate as um I've mentioned Watchmen a few times, especially because it's on the day. Watchmen <laughs> has this kind of sort of crystalline interlocking structure, whereas it, it all references back on itself and you can read. Um, and Back to the Future 2 in the, the final third of it really does start to do that. I mean, you could see the joined in some places and it is, uh, well, let's talk about Christian Glover who didn't return for this film, mm. um, for a number of reasons, uh, because it also opened up the whole who owns the performance once you've done it thing because they went ahead and used him anyway even mm. though he he didn't want to be in the film they used his the film the, the filming that he'd done for the first film and he i think i didn't read i meant to read this before we did the podcast but i believe he sued uh and got paid for his yeah uh, it, it it was settled so as not to set a precedent but yeah he did get paid and in practice it has been regarded as at least moderately yeah all right actors do control their images to some extent until they're dead, in which case... Well, then <laughs> At which point the, the estate will squeeze the corpse for everything it can. But. Oh, oh, goodness. Um, but yes, that's an interesting part. It's a shame because, in fact, the other thing I read was, and I don't know how true it is, that the scene where Crispin Glover, um, where George McFly is upside down for an entire scene, was, was put there because they were a bit frustrated with Crispin and his, his acting ways. Oh, that's um, interesting. The, the, the version of that I heard was it would make the stand-in harder to recognise. It could be either, yes. I, I think that it's been touched, but certainly, even knowing it's not uh, Crispin Glover there, it's hard to because he's literally upside down and he doesn't look quite right. But then you assume that's because he's got all the blood rushing to his head, yeah. and it's only knowing that in retrospect with Back to the Future Two, you see 
George McFly kind of hangs back in a lot of the scenes where you would expect him to come to the floor mm. and remains in blurry focus and you don't see him. That was um, actually one of ILM's very first digital compositing jobs, not the ending sequence, but that, that uh, scene in the house where you've got old Marty and young Marty and Marlene, who is Michael J. Fox in drag. Oh. <laughs> uh, all all really? in the same shot, all interacting, and a moving camera because uh, they had a motion control rig that could duplicate the camera movements with reasonable okay. precision. Um, yeah. So well, from a technical point of view, that that was actually harder than the the stuff at the end where, yeah, all right, we've got Marty over here and Marty over here, but at least one of those views isn't especially clear or doesn't show his face. Yes, it's, it's split and we can... Well, let's take it sort of third by third, because this hmm. is basically we have the future... It, it is a very clearly three-segment... Yes, so the, the, we have the, fu- the distant future of 2015, um, and it is a very back to the future future. It's, it, it's, it's a slightly weird mix of utopian, um, but also dystopia. It, it's, it's, it's slightly punk I, I, I think what it? they were aiming for is it's basically an alright place to live, but it's still got assholes in it. Yes, exactly, and you can still fall through the cracks, still got cyber be- villains and, problems at work yeah yeah that's uh, that's a good way of putting it you can still have a crappy uh tv <laughs> that shorts out from time to time it's, uh, well, one of the things i like is the, is the way that it's deliberately recapitulating the diner scene from the first film and, and the chase scene but with just enough difference that it basically this, this isn't the video game thing you you can't beat this level by pressing the same buttons as in the same order as you pressed last time because the rules are just slightly different yeah and marty tries to mm. uh to his detriment tries the hoverboard yeah it's uh and, and of course this is the film that brought us hoverboards um which everyone uh, now we we finally have some but they're not quite <laughs> not quite what we expected um you, you the, yeah but well let, let's face it that that is uh, modern capitalism in a nutshell you can't have this cool thing but you can have the thing that looks a bit like it <laughs> oh dear, that's um, a disappointing criticism of capitalism, and, but but fair. Um, and and the, the one problem I have with this is the whole nobody calls me chicken thing really yeah, comes out of nowhere. It does, and it's really struck me on this rewatch, because in my head I'd sort of retroactively fitted that into Marty as a character the whole way through, but it, it's never in any way mentioned or referenced or anything in Back to the Future, mm. and it's one of the few jarring additions because in many ways it is seamless um, yeah. but it really does feel like and now he has this character trait that you didn't know about that never came up before and if you saw them separately to start with as i did yeah. um it doesn't pay off in in this film no exactly yes no there's no it doesn't there's, it feels like there's no reader that's because it does a very good job of setting things up to pay off sure in a different film um, so I, I don't think it's fair to criticise it so much for that. But uh, but I agree, that feels a bit jarring. Well, I mean, th- this is basically... Yeah, if if they um, released this today, they would call it, you know, Back back to the Future, silly title, part one and part two. Exa- yes, yeah. Uh, but, yeah. Um, we have more of the, oh, look at this wimp. You know, I think Martin mm-hmm. literally says, um, he's a wimp. Uh, we're talking about his future son, um, and the fact that he's a wimp means that he's going to end up in prison and destroy his entire family's fortune for the rest of his life. And, and all he has to do is stand up to a bully. And, you know, yes, I mean, yes, it's recapitulating the first film. And to some extent that that works. But 
Yeah, you've already had one miracle to put your life back on track, kid. How many do you need? Most <laughs> yeah, people don't exactly. get the one. Yeah, just yes, exactly. You uh, you do get a little exa, or I do get a little exasperated with Marty here. That he, yes, he's already been through what he's been through, and that wasn't enough for him. He needs another jolt um, to get it to, to get it through his thick skull. How he's supposed to live his life. Um, uh, the, we have... At the time, this had a reputation uh, as having an overcomplicated plot because your typical film audience doesn't like to think that much. Yeah, I loved it because me. <laughs> I, I, I suppose I had I'd slightly subscribed to that in that I used to say I prefer Back to the Future Three because it, it's a more and I still think Back to the Future Three is very good, but I think probably. Back to the Future Two is the best. Um, I, I, it's not that complicated. It's not that. It's certainly not um, Primer. If you're going to talk yeah. about time travel, I, I enjoyed three more this time than on previous watchings. But uh, yeah, I think this is probably as a time travel film. I think this is the best of them. Exactly. Yeah, three written. We'll come back to three. Um, but yes, this. Uh, well, it's it's an interesting. Future. It's certainly very different um, future. We have a lot more of the Doc in this film. Uh, than hmm. we did in Back to the Future, which is a good thing because he's great. Um, yeah. uh, I don't know much more to say about the future segment, although it, it does retread a lot of the same ground, but it works and it opens up. It slightly rehabilitates this broken Biff from the 1985 future in that he he becomes a big driver of the plot. Hmm. Um, uh, also learns to fly. Well, presumably... Yeah, future flying cars are easy enough to use that people can just drive them. So, well, I mean that's one of my other plot holes. If he went back, gave the almanac to Biff, and then travelled back to the future, then it would have been already would have been the alternate future. So he would have travelled to a different future. So the time travel, the DeLorean would no longer have been there for Marty um, and the Doc, and they would have been trapped in twenty fifteen. Yeah, and for that but, matter, Jennifer, who who is dumped in twenty fifteen, should should be erased when that twenty fifteen gets rewritten. But yeah. Exactly, yeah. So there are, I mean, I'm going to forgive it because it's incredibly intricate and clever later on, but there are, so it's not, it's not perfect on reflection. Um, they travel back to what they think is 1985, but it is actually a, a weird dystopian 1985 created by a now incredibly rich Biff who stole the sports almanac or didn't steal it. He got given it by his future self. It starts to get complicated <laughs> at that point. Um, this, this prob, this segment worked probably the least well. For me, the, there uh, are bits yeah. of it that do work. I mean, Biff's complete poverty of imagination, yes, I, I think shows up very nicely. Yes, it, it's just an utter, even by the standards of Back to the Future characters, he is an utterly superficial, shallow character. Let's stick more gold on it. I like gold. You know? <laughs> yes, exactly. It's almost like the the, the wedding from Goodfellas. <laughs> um, <laughs> Yes, it's, he's so tacky. But also, yeah, you know, of course I'll, I'll, I'll allow them to bribe me to put the toxic waste repo- repository next to my casino. I don't care. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I, I, um, I live in the penthouse suite. I, yes, exactly. It's, um, it works well. It just, it feels, it feels a little forced. It feels like hmm. this isn't any kind of 1985 you could have had, however rich Biff got. It just doesn't feel quite, uh, it feels a bit too dystopian. Um, but maybe that's me being a bit, um. Well, the, the other thing one, one might consider is that the moment somebody starts winning big on, um, sports bets, even, even if he escapes investigation, which in the fifties, more plausible, s- sporting events are already really quite random things. And yeah. I, I feel that the book would become increasingly unreliable. 
I, I, you know, it Simply because, you know, we, we see that the future is changing. Yeah, it never occurred to me um, that that might happen before. But on this rewatch, I suddenly thought, well, hang on. It's only the first race he can absolutely guarantee, because after that, he has no idea what... Unless he... And Biff does not have the imagination to do this. Unless he invests the money and doesn't do anything else with it. Mm-hmm. And even then, what if the, the... There'd be all kind of ripple effects that would affect... I, I agree. By the time you're in 85, the sports almanac is pretty much worthless, I would have expected. But, but uh, again, I, I think it works. I, it, it doesn't really suggest that he wins and wins and wins. He kind of wins big and then invests it, I think. But Or at least he has a few big wins. He has a few big wins. Yeah, I don't think he's constantly... It doesn't look like he's relying on that almanac for his income by the time we, we catch up with him in 1985. We have, a, again, a, a revisit of one of the scenes in Back to the Future with um, uh, with um, Marty's mum, and we have like an almost repeat of the line with you, so... You're so big! Um, it doesn't <laughs> quite work so well for me this time, um, but it's... It's it's not. It really starts to revisit itself um, without. I mean, considering we're following a lot of the same themes we had, um, this uh, it doesn't feel feel repetitious even at this point. Even mm. though we're having a similar plot points cropping up all the time. Um, also, this is, there's something about a dystopia. This is about as dark as Back to the Future gets, and it yeah. doesn't it doesn't quite uh, do uh, it's, it. It's me. got trash can fires. What more do you need? That, that's the exactly. sure symbol of a dystopia. <laughs> yeah, I mean, um, it, it, I it also to have airships, which are the, which are the standard signifier of an alternate universe. But yeah, you can't oh, do yes, everything. Definitely, you, you know, you know, you're in a different universe when there's airships around. Um, oh, now I'm looking at Watchmen again. Um, right, <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, but yeah, it's 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 a good sequence. It sets a lot of things up, and and Biff, I think Biff does shine here as a as a awful. Uh, dare I say this, this is the most that Biff could be if everything went his way. Yeah, and he really is. I mean, it, there's a side, the, the thing that struck me from, from the distant future of 2022 is, um, uh, how Trumpian, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, Biff is. He really, you know, almost physically resembles him. Um, but, um, I will say no more, but it's, uh, but yeah, it's an interesting parallel that that is what rich men with the dearth of imagination um, behave like, and I think it's it's a nicely drawn. Yeah, because there um, are always lots of people willing to take your money and sell you shiny stuff. Yeah, so, six. Um, well, I mean, uh, hawk back to Goodfellas with, with the apartment tour. So, oh god, yeah, I love that scene. <laughs> That's, um, so, uh, and then on on to 1955. On to 1955, which is where the film really zings. I mean, yeah, we they, are this now, is this is the solid part for me. This is we are revisiting the original film. Um, we, you know, we we are going into scenes from different angles. We are seeing two different Martys on screen. And actually, I suppose I remember it being much more complex. And it's actually it only touches on it in a few key moments, like the enchantment under the sea dance and the uh, the, the fight outside Biscard. But it's just so beautifully done. Mm. Um, Watching them back to back, Back to the Future and Back to the Future Two, there are very few bits where it, it just it well, they clearly did their homework and really watched Back to the Future and, and worked out where they could fit Marty in. We've got the same locations, worked. we've got the same lighting, mostly the same actors yeah. <laughs> where we could. Um, it is it's so nicely done. I just I I don't know how to praise it more than it's just it's where it really sings this film that it just it it. It's beautiful that it intricately revisits it in a dramatic way. It doesn't feel rote. You're, you're invested in it. Um, it's good. This is a good bit of hmm. film. 
Yeah, I don't find myself. I, I, again, I found myself hard to criticise it because I was just drawn along. At this point, I'm just um, excited by it, and I just want to watch <laughs> it and see how it goes. Um, but it is nice. It, it it doesn't really, it doesn't cover any of the same. Even though it's literally covering the same scenes, we have different plot points at this point. We have different things going on. We have the doc much more involved. Um, and, and even though we know that. Um, the hench dudes weren't going to get Marty on stage. There is still yeah. tension about that. Yeah. Well, it's the same as, uh, you know, James Bond's never going to die, except the recent film, sorry, spoilers. Um, <laughs> uh, but, uh, but yeah, it works. It works very well. This is, this is, I mean, this is the reason. Uh, that final segment is, is really the reason why it holds together as a trilogy, I think. It's just one of the best. Uh, again, there are a few plot holes here, but not actually many, considering how intricate it is, and uh, hmm. I, I think it's well done. I mean, I judge this by the standards of science fiction film, not science fiction book. So, Oh, yeah, yeah, which are, yeah, I, yeah not to be pretentious about it, but I, authors... I don't know if they spend more time thinking about it, but, you know, the, the man who folded himself and that sort of thing really explore this in a way that's just beyond anything, any time travel. Fit. Except Primer, which I do think stands up. Maybe we'll do Primer one day. Um, yeah, it's good. And I then, have you more to say about the last sequence? Um, not really. I, I had a memory of that film ending with um Marty on the road in the rain before the Western Union guy turns up. Now that's almost certainly just a false memory. But it, I, it surprised. Um, I, I had a similar memory. I remember the guy turning up. I thought it ended there with it sort of panning out and him saying the docks in the old west. But actually, it ends a scene later when he goes back to see. Maybe hmm. we're both. Maybe there has been a. Ch- we'll have to look it up. I, don't think I have so. a similar memory. Uh, I, um, I also found that um, that basically they. they the the filmmakers decided that the, even even that was a bit too abrupt, and so they they spliced together the trailer for, effectively the trailer for number three out of the yeah. early footage that they already had during the edit. Doesn't need it. Yeah, I'm, I'm fine. I stopped it before. I, I stopped it before that bit uh, this time because <laughs> I didn't want to watch. I just wanted to carry on watching. But it, it like Empire Strikes Back. When I whenever I watch Empire Strikes Back, I have a desperate need to watch Return of the Jedi. <laughs> I can't leave it there. This does the same thing to me. You can't. You can't leave it there. You've got to go on and watch Back to the Future Three after mm. watching Back to the Future Two. I do find the, the Western Union guy. There's no that little bit of tension when he's like, "I've got something for you," and reaches into his. Mm-hmm. No, it feels like a cheap. It's a bit, a bit of a false, of yeah. But I, I'm uh, no need to damn it too much for that. Um, and then back to the future three, which is a full-on western, really. Yeah, um, it's a change of pace again. It definitely helps um, if you already have a positive feeling about westerns, which I didn't then. I, I yeah. have slightly more of one now because I've, I've seen some of the really great ones. Yeah, I, I think I've been on a similar journey, really. I, for me, science fiction was my westerns, and I, it wasn't a place that I particularly visited as a kid. But I've seen, yeah, a lot of great westerns since. And I, I, I yeah, like... I mean, when when I was growing up, it was that boring stuff on the TV. So yeah, I swear, it's so mythology. I don't want really to get too involved in the world. Yeah, short period of history for to get such a long screen time. But it's Back to the Future does a western with all of that entails. It's incredibly cliched um hmm. it has comedy guys in the pub it has people uh, well th- th- for... those three guys are all 
long-time Western actors as well. Yeah, that guy on the end, his voice. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I just love it. Uh, there's some visual gags of like the smoke coming off, the varnish coming off the bar. I don't know why it was varnished in the first place. But when he when he pours the whiskey, Doc. Oh, oddly, I've been in pubs in Cornwall where there might have been varnish once, but it's been why on earth eaten off by the. Pub? Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> by the locals, I thought you were going to say. Anyway, let's. Uh, uh, th- this is again even more so than Back to the Future. This is not our universe. This is a world where someone will have a drink of whiskey, uh, take one step forward, and then fall over, and then be sobered up again by a magic sobering up potion. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it, we're really into sort of comic book territory in a lot of ways. I forgive it that again. It's 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 not a huge tonal shift for Back to the Future, but it feels it's leaning into it a yeah. bit more. Also, um, I, I like harking back to Sylvester. I like what he's doing with the music, to keeping the same themes and putting it in into the more Western music context. I mean, yes, on the yeah. one hand, this is, this is a technical thing; it doesn't need great inspiration, but it is done technically competently, and and I like I do like that. Yes. Uh, appa- apparently, this was a really popular production to work on for the stunt crew, because basically in those days, every Hollywood stuntman could ride a horse. It was just a key part of the job, and they weren't making a whole lot of westerns. So it was nice to, I mean, I'm not sure this led to a revival of it, but yeah. No, I it didn't, but, but, but a lot, you know, every, every stuntman who, who could get the time was trying to work on this simply because it was another chance to ride in a western. Yeah, which is a nice, I mean, it's clearly done by people who loved westerns. Mm. It is a really loving time. I find some of its beats uh, uh, a tad too on the nose for me. The whole foreshadowing of Jules Verne by Doc as he's going into the tunnels under the earth. Plus, particularly, I've trudged through 20,000 leagues under the sea. And so the fact that Clara then becomes... I don't know if anyone's ever successfully pulled with science, but uh, maybe that's just my ex- <laughs> maybe that's just my experience. But it's interesting watching it this time. Marty is really very much a side character in this film. Doc is yeah, he, he's being the obstacle. He's saying, "No, no, no, don't do this. We've got, we've got to stay focused on the goal here." Yeah, yeah, eyes on the prize, Doc, and all that. But uh, so it's, and I think it's great. I mean. It, uh, and it's generously done by Michael J. Fox. You could certainly imagine him not feeling frustrated at being slight. He's not very sidelined, but Doc is really the, the main mm. character here. He does all the, he has the love interest. He defeats, um, Biff. Uh, well, he stops Mike getting, uh, hung. He, he, he comes up with, he does all the plot points and he does, I mean, all Marty does in the climax of the film is sit in the DeLorean. Mm. And, and so, call out numbers. And call out numbers. It's a vitally important test. I, I think um, one of my favourite scenes in this is, is where they're problem solving. Uh, this this is the technology base we have to work with. What can we do that can get a car moving at the necessary speed? Yeah. Because it feels really like we are time travellers stranded in this era and we need to... Yeah, how are we going to do this? No, we can't do that, Doc. You're going to die next week. We'll wait until the... Yeah, I need a, I need a sufficiently frictionless surface to roll the car down. Yeah, was, um, yeah, I agree. That's a nice moment. I mean, what, what I would want to do is wind an electric motor, but again, that might well take more than three days. <laughs> but then you could just hide from it. Anyway, yeah, <laughs> there are some few dubious plots, but it's... Like, um, uh, for it's, for uh, me, there are really two big missteps, one of which is trivial, okay. which is... Fox playing as as his great 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 grandpa Seamus. Oh, it's I just want to talk about a very unconvincing hair set. Thompson's 
the accent, goodness me, it's straight <laughs> out of a Lucky Charms box. I mean, yeah, I but, but also no the position. also his hair. Yes, they they are not convincing. So, I mean, Lee Thompson does a bit better, but not her accent's pretty sure. It's all sure, and you would be doing this, Mister Employee. Mm. It's uh, <laughs> dear, it's a bit painful to. Watch. I mean, uh, back to Futures Explorer that showed you before. We glossed over. Um, uh, Michael Michael J. Fox in drag, but it's really no need. It's a pretty small it's, part, it's, really. It is, it is. Um, but yeah, I they that is so. I agree. That's a misstep. What's your other one? Uh, actually, yeah. All right. It's it's. There's another technical one. Um, oh, yeah. When uh, Clara's on the runaway wagon, and oh, yes. and Doc is chasing her on the, on horseback, and Marcy is further back. It is. They, they, yeah, obviously you filmed it, filmed this in two separate takes with two separate cameras at different angles. Yes. But unfortunately, in the, in the, ang- in one of the angles, it is very clear that the wa- uh, Clara and the wagon are on their own on the road. And in the uh, other angle, Doc is getting very close to catching up. And I didn't notice this at the time, but on a rewatch, it, yeah. It's an unusual misstep. It's distracting. It handles action sequences very well, yeah. I feel. Um, but yeah, I agree. Uh, but uh, yeah, all right. The, the big one. Um, we're, we're finally going to give a female character something to do. Yeah, she ends up hanging by her dress and screaming for help. Yeah, I wondered if Clara would come into it. She's the most interesting female character, I, I guess, to me because I'm I love science and I'm, <laughs> But she has she's got an interesting introduction. She, I mean, she doesn't really have a personality so much as tick boxes that the doc is ticking in a way <laughs> she's just like oh you're science you love, you love jules Verne. um but she's really well acted um by oh, mary steenbergen mary. uh that, 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 about to say mary elizabeth that, there's a um there's an easter egg there this is actually uh, stunt casting yeah because in time after time 1979 yes, this would yeah she she is uh a a woman who is visited by a time traveller and they fall in love and she rejects him because she doesn't believe he's a time traveller and she ends up returning to his home time with him. I d- uh, Don't tell me that's a coincidence. I'm, I'm sure that the casters had that in mind. It's time after... Yes, yeah. Um, uh, that, that's H.G. Uh, Wells chasing Jack the Ripper. That's H.G. Wells with uh, Malcolm McDowell. Yeah. Out, yeah. I, I get a rare heroic part for Malcolm McDowell. Lee, uh, Christopher Lee, Christopher... Ah, oh, Christopher Reeve one, where he managed to travel back in time by dressing up. Um, uh, that's called, <laughs> I, that's not time after time. Can't remember what that is. Don't think I know. Somewhere that one, in but... time, I think. Yeah. I, I like that film. Anyway, uh. Um, time, time after time is, is nobody's idea of a masterpiece. It's quite fun. <laughs> it's fun. It's a fun, um, it's but, one of those Sherlock Holmes in, uh, travels in time, except it's HG Wells. But it's it? a, lo- it's a lovely echo. Hasn't it, it got Jack the Ripper in? Yes. Randomly? Yeah, yeah. He, he, he is, basically, Jack the Ripper is uh, one of H.G. Wells' um, respectable friends. Um, That's right. Uses the time machine to flee, but because of plot, the time machine snaps back, so H.G. Wells chases him. That's right, yes. It's like, it's, yeah, it's the old Sherlock Holmes chases Jack the Ripper, except it's H.G. Wells instead in this case. And anyway, it's through time. As it's through time. Um, and... Uh, uh, yes, I agree. It's she's she gives a good performance, but she is a damsel in distress and a plot hunt. Right up until those, that last sequence, she's pretty good. But yeah, and then yeah. she just uh, damn, she's basically um, 
here to give the Doc a reason to stay in the power. Yeah, mm. I, I agree. I mean, it's the story is about Doc and Marty, really, um, and uh, it is at least true to the other films in that the female characters have nothing interesting to do <laughs> in the whole film. But yeah, it would have been nice if they'd done a switcheroo and she saved Doc or something like that. It's just something interesting. Yeah, there, there's a bit of that at the dance, but not completely. Yes, it's into uh, it's into. But I suppose this is Doc's hero moment, um, mm. uh, rather than Marty. So it's nice to change it around. It, it's much less about the time travel this time around. It flirts with it a bit more, and it's a bit more interesting uh, in that regard than Back to the Future One. Uh, I do like westerns more than I did. I think, um, oh, Todd Marshall, Thomas, uh, Thomas Wilson. Uh, Thomas Wilson, thank you. Goodness me, why do I keep being talking about? Um, I do think he's, uh, he's, he's very interesting. He's almost unrecognisable, I find, when mm. he comes in as Buford Tannen, but he's, he's the same character. He gets the same shouty things to do. Hey, he, he, he's more explicitly comic, I think, in this one. Um, I mean, there, yeah. there, there's a bit of that at the end of two with, with the whole, um, finishing off the, the, the cliche saying the wrong way. But I think yeah. here he is playing it much more for laughs. Yeah, juxtaposed well, I, with, and I will casually murder you if I feel like it. Yes, which we already know Biff's capable of in the future, but it's, he's a bit more explicitly murdery mm. uh, in his Wild West counterpart. It's, well, uh, it was a different age. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's very good as well. I mean, I, I I think we've already touched on sort of my problems and criticisms with the, the Back to the Future, and they're mainly the, the tonal one, which isn't really a problem, which is this this comic book thing and uh, the the only thing I'm really uncomfortable about is the kind of all American message or the Reagan-esque message or the 80s of whatever whichever way you want to look at it as as we talked about stand up to bullies you'll be fine which is not necessarily the best thing to teach mm-hmm. but overall uh, I, I will admit that the whole victory over now I can be called chicken and, and, and not do whatever somebody is telling me to do. Seems like quite a minor personal victory, given the immense amount of machinery needed to get it there. <laughs> exactly. I mean, I, I mean, you need some therapy kit, not a time machine. It'd be a lot cheaper. Um, overall. The nostalgia though, still gets me even now. So. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't have quite the nostalgia hit for me, but not, not far off. I, I would, well, Here's a question. I, I mean, masterpiece. I think we can both agree they are. I mean, they they certainly e- widely e- even if I un- unwrap my nostalgia goggles, I think I think so. Yeah, I mean, they are not like a lot of our favourite films. They're not really, in fact, more so. I think than most of our favourite films, uh, they're not really trying to say anything. They're not doing, and, and we've talked about the underlying message. I think it's really trying to push that. I, it's just that's how it is in this universe. Um, yeah, uh, and I, I don't think it was particularly star making. I mean, it got people more work, but I don't think anybody came out of this to be a leading man, except maybe Crispin Glover. Uh, I think Michael J. Fox got a lot of work off this. Um, and I, Christopher Lloyd was already fairly famous by this point. I don't know that yeah. he did. In, in fact, he, he says in the documentary that um, he, he was thinking about go, yeah, hitting a bit of a career slump, thinking about going back and doing theatre for a bit, and then he got this offer. And then, so right, thought, well, yeah. what the hell, give it a try. 
I mean, Michael J. Fox does seem to be one of the... Uh, what has happened to him with early onset Parkinson's? I've read some of his... But it's just uh, genuinely does seem to be an incredibly nice, optimistic guy. <laughs> um, he doesn't yeah. really deserve early onset Parkinson's. But there we go. Does he anybody, does, but yeah. Does anybody, exactly. That's a good question. Um, they're very good. Uh, is it the best movie trilogy of all time? Would you? How would you feel about that? Oh. Again, there's no point ranking these things, but I would say it's one of... I might have different opinions on different days. Yeah, I mean, I would, I probably get more enjoyment out of rewatching this than I would out of rewatching Star Wars. I think I would now. I, I think original Star-, Star Wars, obviously, the one I actually enjoyed. Oh yeah, the one that yeah, <laughs> I, I, I think that goes without. Um, yeah, I mean, we're probably not going to talk about Star Wars on these podcasts, and that's just they've been done to death for me. There's been too much said about them. Well, to be fair, probably some of these, but. Well, I suppose the one bonus of Back to the Future is they never did do a sequel, and they're very unlikely to. There have been a few games about it. Um, uh, there, there is a photo of uh, Gail and Zemeckis and somebody else wearing T-shirts with Back to the Future, then a four in the middle and crossed out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, and I think that is wise, and maybe that's why it's dated better in my memory, perhaps, than Star Wars. Really. Also, of course, uh, yeah, they, they couldn't really do it without Fox, and once once Fox had got the Parkinson's, he wasn't able to act in the same way. So, uh, Yeah, it would be hard to have... Um, he's still a very charming man, but it's it wouldn't... It would be hard to be an action hero. Or, there there was apparently an animated game. series, I've never seen it. Uh, there was, and there's a, computer, there's a set of computer games, a story... which I, and, I, I, a, and a recent board game, right. for that matter. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh, was um, it two of them? Anyway, I don't think it was very good. Anyway, they—they they certainly. I don't know about widely uh, imitated, but uh, I don't again, think they're so. certainly iconic in the sense that the DeLorean, as you say, that's what a DeLorean is—is is Back to the Future now, and it, the words flux capacity, you know, they crop up in songs whenever anyone wants to um, uh, mention. Time travel in a way you can lean on a flux capacitor. Eighty-eight miles an hour. All these things are iconic. Um, yeah, there is um, Peggy Sue got married that came out in eighty-six, which is yes. more of the fantasy time travel. You know, a, a woman who's about to get divorced finds herself um, back in high school in her senior year. Is that Nicholas Cage? And, um, um, Kathleen Turner. Kathleen Turner and Cage. Yeah, uh, yeah direct, directed again. by Coppola. By Francis Ford Coppola. <laughs> Holy crap, I didn't know that. I think I did know that and forgot it again. Um, but yeah, yeah Tur- really... Turner and Cage really did not get on. So. Oh, did they not? Oh, that's a shame. There we go. Um, this, yeah, I don't know about directly influential, but I, it, I probably was indirectly influential and certainly has had a, a huge impact on pop culture. Mm. Um, and rightly so. They're very good. They're not deep, but they are... I, I think, as far as best trilogy goes, they just they get two and three right so well that they join almost seamlessly on to one. Also, as, uh, as we commented before, a, a lot of the idea of sequels was uh, let's do more of the same because it worked last time, let's do it again. Yeah, and so to actually think of no, let's actually time travel back into our own film. I, 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 yeah, I can't uh, the, the early draft apparently uh, two was going to be visiting 1967. But they decided it was going to be too much, too interesting to work around the original in '55. Yeah, that. Well, that I, I think, to be honest, that third of the second film is a, a huge reason of why. They, yeah, you know, serious just, high point just, for me. Yeah, it's just perfect. Just perfect. Well, there we are. Back to the future.
All of Very them. good. We like it. All of them. All done. And we're glad there's no more. Long may yeah. there never be any more. Yeah. Um, Works for me. Yeah. The, the story is complete. I mean, the story was complete after one, then they told a different story for two and three. And that story is complete. It doesn't need more. It's a, yeah, it would be artificial. And you'd rather they just had the, the endings they got at this point. Mm. It's good. We like it. All right. Well, there we are. I'm going to have to deal with these uh, three alternate versions of myself who've been sitting very quietly in the court. Well, at least two of them might be myself. Um, so I'm oh, yeah. Did, did I send you that chainsaw I was going to lend you? You probably find it under your chair. Oh, yeah. That'll get some use in a minute. That's a bit darker than Back to the Future. <laughs> 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 um, but there we are. Lovely. Well, that I will see you in the future. Of 1991. Oh. Goodbye. Goodbye.